0: this past week. The fact that so many white Christians will be the first to say, I'm a sinner, I'm trying to repent, but would never in a million years say, I'm a racist, tells you everything you need to know about the history of the church in the USA and the current state of faith and politics. My reactive self wanted to quit back, so are you admitting that you're a racist? The conversation on social media has focused a lot on racism in response to the video that went viral showing the murder of Ahmad Arbery. Based on the contents of the video, Ahmad's death has been characterized as a modern day lynching. And unfortunately, his death is only one in a long string of instances where unarmed black men and women have been killed at the hands of white men, oftentimes police, where there's been evidence of the unnecessary use of excessive force. In, the case, in this case, it's particularly startling because the man who was killed was doing nothing suspicious at all. He was taking a jog, something he did regularly, and it was broad daylight. Something I, as a white person, have done many times with no thought of being mistaken as a burglar, much less being threatened at gunpoint. I find what happened to Ahmaud appalling, heartbreaking, absolutely incomprehensible. Surely, I'm not racist, am I? The fact that so many white Christians will say, I'm a sinner, but never, I'm a racist, tells you everything you need to know. I guess you could say that that Facebook post totally triggered me. My knee-jerk reaction was defensive for sure because it did make me ask myself, am I racist? It's not the first time I've asked myself the question. The truth is, I suspect that I am. Not overtly so and not on purpose, certainly not proudly so, but the truth is I have grown up in a society permeated with racism and some of the attitudes and prejudices directed toward black and brown people they've been baked in. I've been socialized to believe that fundamentally, it is better to be white. Dr. Robin D'Angelo is a professor and author who focuses on whiteness studies. I didn't realize that was a thing, which I suppose makes Dr. D'Angelo's point. She draws attention to the fact that she is white in her writing and in her videos because we live in a culture where being white is so normalized, we often don't even think of it, think of white as a race with a particular experience. We think of white as being neutral. As a result, many of us who are white fail to notice that we do get to navigate the world with a very particular experience characterized by an increased sense of ease, an increased sense of safety and security, and increased access to opportunities that many people of non-white races do not have the privilege of sharing. I find the way D'Angelo defines racism to be very helpful because we often understand racism to be individual acts of discrimination or prejudice, and there is that, but if we are to dismantle racism, she says, we have to understand it as a deeply embedded system that our country was founded in and our institutions built on. It's this underlying system that perpetuates racism and perpetuates the implicit biases inherent to racism. And these inherent biases drive the involuntary thoughts and attitudes that lead to behaviors that have real consequences for people's lives. And these inherent biases drive the involuntary thoughts and attitudes that lead to behaviors that have real consequences for people's lives. If you Google living while black, you'll find stories of black men and women having the police called on them while engaging in the most mundane acts. There's a story of a graduate student from Yale University who fell asleep while studying in her own dorm's common room A dorm mate assumed she didn't belong there and called the police on her. In another instance, a black man was making a phone call from the lobby of a hotel where he was a paying customer when a a white security guard made the assumption that he was trespassing and escorted him off the premises. There was a group of five African-American women who were playing golf when the owner and employees of the golf course decided they were playing too slowly and called the police on them. The consequences of being black in a society propped up by racism are significant. For Ahmad Aubrey, the consequence was death. Dr. D'Angelo's most recent book is White Fragility, why it's so hard for white people to talk about racism. I recently watched a 20 minute video of hers called Deconstructing White Privilege with Dr. Robin D'Angelo that touches on some of the ideas in her book. I found it to be incredibly insightful. She articulates very well my own experience as a white person when it comes to confronting and talking about racism. I'll drop the link in the, to the video in the chat and I encourage you to watch the whole thing later, but right now I wanna share this short clip where she succinctly summarizes the primary obstacle to honest and productive discourse about racism.
1: One of the most effective adaptations of racism since the civil rights era is this idea of a racist is a bad person, and if you're not racist, you're a good person, what I call the good-bad binary. And we can all fill it in, right? So if you're a racist, then you're prejudiced and mean-spirited and bigoted and ignorant and southern, (laughs) and probably drive a pickup truck, so we got some classism in there, right? This is our uh, our racist, and if you're not racist, you're good, and you're progressive, and you're open-minded, and you're educated, and you're northern, Um, and this binary is probably the number one construct that keeps racism today in place, and makes it nearly impossible to talk to white people about racism the defensiveness we have comes from this binary. What we hear is, you just said I was a bad person. And so this binary sets, sets it up to be mutually exclusive. You cannot be a good person and be complicit with racism. So you'll notice in the news when racism gets talked about, you'll, they'll bring in the evidence they'll have to, to defend the person that's being accused of racism is, but he's a really nice person. Right, because again, it's mutually exclusive. We have to understand racism as a system that we're all a part of.
0: The good, bad binary. Yes, this binary is the number one construct that prevents me from talking about racism because I know that I benefit from a system that privileges being white. And I know that there are racist thoughts and prejudices that rise up in me sometimes, almost like breathing completely involuntarily. And even though all of this happens internally, I'm secretly terrified that it will spill out and then you'll know, and then it will be official. I am a racist and therefore not only a bad person, but irredeemable. I mean, I know that that sounds dramatic. But the shame that washes over me in those moments is real. And the shame that I feel tells me I am bad. Not that I've done something bad, that I am bad. And this feeling is compounded by the fact that I'm hesitant to call out racism when I see it outside myself because it's often in situations involving people who I love and know to be good people, which makes me think, well, they're not racist. They didn't mean anything by it. It was harmless. So I let a comment or a joke or an action slide. The awareness that I am so deeply complicit in racism makes it really hard given this good-bad binary, for me to see myself as good, which can be paralyzing. No wonder we don't talk about it. And if we don't talk about it, how will we ever change it? Then we hear this in our scripture reading today. Now who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? Do you think Peter was being ironic? I mean, he's talking to Gentiles, which is to say they were not Jewish, who have converted to Christ, and as those who follow Jesus, they've begun to live a little differently. They've begun to reject social norms. They've begun to to question and confront some of the injustices perpetuated by their culture and find themselves suffering as a result. They have lost friends. They've lost familial relationships, work. They're subject to public ridicule. Clearly, doing what's good and right can lead to harm. Just look at the one they follow. Jesus certainly suffered unjustly for the sake of doing good on behalf of others. His opposition to the status quo, his confrontation with sin, especially systemic or institutionalized sin, led him to a cross. And we, those who follow him now, we are called to question the systems and institutions into which we were born and bred. And we're called to do good and to right the wrongs, stop the harm perpetuated by them, especially if we are privileged by those systems, because it's the ones who are privileged who have the most power to institute change? And white people can't, I mean, I can't let the shame and grief or any other uncomfortable emotion I may feel over my complicity in those systems paralyze me into inaction. Dr. D'Angelo draws attention to the fact that she's white and that she benefits from systems that privilege white people. She confesses that she is complicit in the systems that perpetuate racism. And, she says, it's not her fault that she was born white. And after a lot of personal reflection, she's not racked with guilt. But, she says, it is her responsibility to change it. And here's the deal. We are good. Even if we sometimes fail to do good, we are good. We are made good. We are made righteous, set apart and made holy by Jesus's willingness to suffer and even die on our behalf. He surrenders his own privilege as god's son to change a system that would condemn us in our sin and blown away by the power of this incredible love we respond by sanctifying jesus christ setting him apart as lord in our hearts as first peter admonishes us urges us to do And with Jesus as our Lord, as our guiding light, as our moral compass, we understand that we are holy and set apart for God, for God's purposes to confront and dismantle systems of injustice. Because of Jesus Christ, I am good and I am guilty, complicit in the sin of racism. And as someone who follows the Christ sanctified in my heart as Lord, I am called to do good. And when it comes to racial justice, doing good often means risk that can lead to suffering. D'Angelo points out that we will never... Be completely disentangled from racist systems and institutions, at least not in our lifetimes. This will be a lifelong journey, she says, the commitment to continually challenge racism. I will not solve racism, but I can at least try to stop being part of the problem. I can admit that as a white person, I have privilege that I did not earn. I can recognize that there is implicit bias woven into the very fabric of our society that says it's better to be white. I can educate myself about racism and I can question information that sounds biased or inaccurate. I can expose myself to the perspectives of black and brown people. I can speak out with gentleness and reverence, respectfully, as First Peter advises, but still I can speak out when I hear a racist comment or joke. And I can contribute to organizations that work toward racial equity. And I can challenge the good, bad binary by confessing my own sin of racism while simultaneously trusting that in Christ I am good and I'm empowered to do good. Thanks be to God. Amen.